You are listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm your host this week, Liz MacArthur, and joining me is Kimberly Graham Knight, who is doing a master's degree at UVic in music and computer science. That's right. So I read a little bit about uh, the description of what you're doing, which sounds pretty fascinating. You're working with what I understand, Connect, right. which is part of a video game system, right? To um, to develop something for people with disabilities, right? So how? Tell me more. <laughs> Gosh, you've got it already. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, yeah, the Connect camera. So if anyone's ever bought an Xbox, which I'm sure lots of people have, and you ever played those games, you know, where you can play golf or you can do yoga or you can do all kinds of different sports like that, and that's what the Connect camera is for. Basically, it's a 3D gesture control gesture capture camera and how it works is they've got um it's got infrared it's sending infrared lasers basically at your body Mm -hmm. and the laser bounces off and comes back into the receiver on the camera and depending on the angle that the laser bounced off your body it figures out where all the different points are on your body and gets a 3d image of your body and then it's also got a rgb red green blue camera as well that will get your actual feed of what your image is so between those two it can calculate your body positions so like the positions of your hands your elbows your shoulders your torso your neck your head and and it'll even capture your face and all of the different points on your face which is a pretty amazing technology for people who don't necessarily have a lot of mobility mm-hmm. below the head you can do a lot of things with just the face gesturing so that's basically how the connect camera works and what my research is is taking that camera and um, using the connect SDK which is um, basically software that Microsoft developed to use the Kinect in different applications. So they made the Kinect obviously to be used with the Xbox, but pretty soon they discovered that a lot of people were hacking it and using it for their own computer programs. Mm -hmm. So in 2010, I think was the first year Microsoft released this Kinect SDK so that people who were programmers could actually use it and get the information out of the Kinect and do with it whatever they want. Mm -hmm. So I have the Kinect SDK set up and I have it sending messages into a program called Max MSP, which is a visual sound producing program. So basically it's like little boxes and you draw lines between the boxes and it makes different noises depending on how you draw the lines with the boxes. So the information comes out of the Connect, goes into the computer in the SDK. There's some computer programming involved and then it spits it out into the program called Max MSP and then that program actually makes the sounds. Wow, that's incredible. It is amazing <laughs> to see it in practice because everyone that I've shown it to, you know, they they think, wow, this is so cool, right? Because they, um, you know, you put them in front of the Kinect and they move their hand up and down and it goes, woo, woo, or something, right? <laughs> is it... That kind of sounds to me like a theremin, which is, you know, that electric uh, instrument that you use, you manipulate by moving your hand in the air for people that don't know what a theremin is. Is it kind of like that in a way? So basically what I have built so far is a theremin. So it's basically just taking a sine wave, passing different values of frequency into the sine wave that are being determined by where the position of someone's hand is. Mm-hmm. So basically it is. It's exactly what it is, is it's, you know, a really high-tech theremin. But the idea is now 
so where my research is headed is taking this and I um, I do have a participant with a disability that I've been working with and so she can move her can move her arm and her face mm -hmm. and that's it so with those parameters evolving a musical instrument that is pleasing musically you know that doesn't just sound like a theremin right that right. actually has more musical parameters that can be used for someone ultimately to compose music for to be performed on a concert stage with other musicians that are you know able-bodied really good musicians mm -hmm. like at the ubic school of music um and being able to bridge that gap between people with disabilities and able to play art music that's kind of the goal hmm. wow that's uh, seems like a very big very challenging project what are some of the challenges right off the bat in you know making basically an instrument for someone with such limited mobility you sort of touched on the face and movement of the face and how high-tech the connect is so the biggest first problem for me was finding someone hmm. and that was a huge challenge I wrote a lot of emails to the different um, elderly facilities in town hmm. Um, trying to find someone who has, who still has all of the cognition, right? Because it's really important that when the person is given instructions that they're able to follow them, right? Because mm -hmm. that's what music is, is being able to follow instructions and repeat instructions. Um, but at the same time has some type of limited mobility. Mm -hmm. So um, I find a lot of people who do adaptive music, um, for example, the British Prayer Orchestra, they use someone who has cerebral palsy. Um, I think I just saw one recently from MIT with someone with cerebral palsy. So that type of thing where your body motion is impeded, but you still have complete function in your head. Um, so finding a participant. So that was achieved in the summer, and that was really exciting. Mm -hmm. And then the pressure was on to actually develop something, because at that point I didn't have anything working. Right. Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so having something developed now. Um, and the next big challenge was getting it hooked up between the Connect programming and between Max MSP. So for those of you who are curious, what I did was um, someone wrote something called Bespoke OSC, and what it does is it takes um, OSC messages w from C Sharp, which is what the Connect is written in. So and that's like a computer code. And computer code, yeah. right. So basically it takes computer code and um, makes it into open sound control messages, which is kind of like MIDI. Have you heard of MIDI ever? Yeah, it's that sort of like uh, electronic sound right. tones. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. if you know MIDI, OSC is just kind of a more... Um, a more um, formatable form of MIDI. You can kind of make it whatever, you can make the message be whatever you want. So sending OSC messages over a UDP server, which um, TCP IP is what the internet is. Okay. And so UDP is like another form of just sending something over a server. So sends it over a UDP server and then it's received into Max. And does, so getting all that together and figuring out how the C Sharp code was working so that I could figure out how to format the OSC messages, that took a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. And then getting it into Max. And then now the big challenge for me is getting something that I think is musically expressive, is musically interesting. So my supervisor suggested that a good start would be to actually kind of ironically take the OSC messages and turn it into MIDI notes mm -hmm. so that, you know, when you move your hand around, it's like dong. And then if you put your hand down, it's like dong or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then seeing if you can create, recreate when you make the dong and when you make the dong, right? Mm -hmm. So seeing if that's... Um, 
repeatable because it's really important in computer programming that something be repeatable. So rather than you put your hand up and it makes a certain tone and then when you put it up in the same way again it makes a completely different tone. That's what you're trying to you want it to do the same one with the same gesture every time. Exactly is where you're holding your hand and it makes the same tone. So that's pretty so that's going to be the key right now is finding a way to get the um, connect to respond really well and to get the same type of reactions based on whatever the performer does. And, you know, the person gets tired, right? The person has limited mobility. So um, doing something where um, the person can do it and it's not overly challenging for them, but it's challenging enough. That's another big factor, right, is getting something that's really satisfying for the participant. Because at the end of the day, that's what I'm making the instrument for, right, is for this person who I'm working with to be able to play music, Mm -hmm. right? That's the goal. So getting something where the person feels like they are being musically expressive, but they're not being, you know, completely worn out and totally frustrated and never want to talk to me again because (laughs) the project is just way too challenging for Right. This sounds like really groundbreaking work. Is there uh, a field already of people who are developing basically new instruments for people maybe with mobility issues and things like that? Right. So I just gave a presentation about this on Monday. Um, so basically there are people. So in terms of adaptive music technology, so that would be the field that is um, that, that would be the field that I would say that I'm under. So adaptive, meaning for people with disabilities who don't have normal range of motion and normal abilities mm-hmm. um and then music obviously self-explanatory making music and then technology so using different hardware and different software that's already on the market today and making something musically interesting with it um so i'll start by saying that there's um a number of centers that do adaptive technology mm. and there's a number of centers that do music technology oh yeah so but the ones that are doing adaptive and music technology as a name are pretty rare. So there's one at the University of Huddersfield in the UK led by Dr. Ian Gibson who does adaptive music technology specifically. Mm-hmm. It's called the Adaptive Music Technology Research Group. Um, there's Canassist at UVic mm-hmm. that does amazing adaptive technology. Um, and recently... I'm going to mention his name. He might, well, I don't know if he'll listen to this, but Chris Rajala just made something called Canstrument, which is basically a gesture-based um, iPod device that you can put on your arm. So people who maybe don't have the ability to play, say the piano, don't have the finger dexterity, mm-hmm. can put this device on their arm and move their arm around. And it makes different musical notes depending on if the arm is rolled or if the arm is pitched or if the arm is shaken or however they choose to move their arm around. Hmm. Creates different kinds of... So there's, I guess, I don't know if it's the right term, but an accelerometer or something in the iPad... In the, sorry, iPod. In the iPod touch. (laughs) Um, So it can get different acceleration and tilt values out of that. And from that, he made... uh, application that makes music which is has been very successful i've shown it to my participant and she loved it and Mm. i saw some other people at the open house use it and it's been really so it's really cool so canisys is doing some stuff um the adaptive music technology research group and then the one that i think is leading the world right now in this field is the british para orchestra Mm. in london um led by charles hazelwood and the guy who does the technology for that his name is rolf gelhar G-E-H-L, 
H-A-A-R, Ralph Galhar. Mm. Anyway, amazing guy. Um, so basically, what the British Power Orchestra did was they took these music technologies and made them into something that could be performed on a concert stage. Um, and it's the first orchestra in history that is composed entirely of disabled musicians and is a professional orchestra. So it actually does paying professional gigs. Like mm. they performed at the London Paralympics, for example, in 2012 mm. with Coldplay. That was a pretty cool, you know, it's yeah, pretty wow. cool, right? Yeah, there's very prestigious, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So they're doing pretty amazing stuff. And they have a bunch of different, like they have a participant who uses an iPad. Her name is Lynn Levitt and uses her nose to push different buttons on the iPad. Oh, yeah. And she designs all her own sounds, basically sequences the sounds and then controls it that way, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool to watch. Mm -hmm. And then there's another guy named, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name now, Clarence Adu, who plays what's called the headspace, which is an instrument that Rolf Gellhar made. And basically how it works is it's an infrared sensor that's transmitted from your head onto the top of the computer. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it detects where your head is and moves the mouse around on the screen of the computer. And then uh, you have a tube in your mouth. And when you puff on the tube, it does a mouse click. Oh. And I think, if I understand correctly, depending on how you puff on the tube, you can do a left or a right mouse click. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly about that. But anyway, so and um, that was also written, the software for that was written in Max MSP, which is the same thing I'm using mm -hmm. with my Kinect. So they're doing stuff as well. Um, like I said, I just saw recently one um, from MIT that they did with um, a guy using an infrared sensor also on his head. Hmm. Um, so those are the ones that I know of. And I, I, it's a very emerging, very new field because the technology is only just now. Yeah coming it seems like the technology too is uh, really ties into the sort of hacker movement that seems to be really gaining steam of taking existing technology and making something totally new with it and like breaking up you know your xbox and doing something that you really want to do with it absolutely do you think that um well why why did you start doing this that's what i oh right <laughs> okay oh gosh that's a loaded question okay i'm gonna give the short answer so i don't want to go into the whole thing i guess but basically um, what happened was, um, well, okay, I might as well tell the whole answer because <laughs> I don't think I can abbreviate it. So basically I did a music degree, so in piano. And then what happened was in 2010, I had something happen where I lost my ability to play piano. Mm. And so I thought, oh my gosh, you know, here I am, this musical person, and now I don't have the finger dexterity to play piano the way that I used to. Mm -hmm. And um, I really am still wanting to be musically expressive and be in that community and be around musicians and all of that kind of stuff is really important to me. So I thought, okay, well, if this happened to me, there has to be so many people out there who maybe never got the chance to learn music mm -hmm. because of whatever, you know, if you if you're... You know, I mean, I think there's some people that maybe miss some a few fingers and they can still play piano. But for the most part, you know, if you yeah. don't have all of the physical attributes, then you can't play traditional musical instruments. Right. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of dexterity to play a violin or a piano or a cello or a trumpet or whatever else. Right. Mm -hmm. Or to even sing. Right. A lot of people don't have the ability to speak or sing. So 
I really thought, wow, there's got to be a whole untapped market of talent out there that's never been exploited. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I got into the work and discovered, you know, and then watch this video of the British Power Orchestra, if anyone is interested, on TED Talks. Um, it's the British Power Orchestra doing a rendition of Green Sleeves and Charles Hazelwood talking about um, the British Power Orchestra. And it brings me to tears every time watching this video because you see people, you see Lynn Levitt and Clarence Adu. Oh, Clarence, by the way, the guy who plays the headspace, he's um, similar to me. He was a professional trumpet player in a symphony. Wow. And he got in a car accident and lost all of his ability to move below his neck. Mm -hmm. So all he could move was his head. So for years, he didn't have any ability to play a musical instrument until Rolf made him something. So those type of people who have the musical talent, who have the interest, who are very dedicated people, who haven't had the opportunity to express themselves, that's really what is inspiring to me about this work. Mm. Yeah, that's incredible. So now, um, so you went into a master's program combining computer science with music to specifically work on this kind of project. Is that right? Well, to be honest, my first idea was I wanted to learn how to record stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in order to take a master's in sound recording at UVic, I needed to learn all of this computer science stuff. So basically what I did was I had my music degree. I had no knowledge of computers whatsoever other than just the peripheral knowledge of just using them sometime. Right. So in 2011, I came back to UVic and just took tons of math courses, computer science courses, software engineering courses, even electrical engineering courses, mm -hmm. um, sound recording courses, computer music, all kinds of stuff. Basically did almost a whole nother bachelor's degree in computer science before I got into my master's and then started my master's in September of 2013. Wow. So you've been working on this for about a year now. Right. How much longer do you have um, left? Will you do it for another year? It'll be another year, uh, potentially two. Mm -hmm. I could see my master's taking three years just because of the timing of everything that has happened and just the length of, I think the, the big thing is going to be the length of the arc of just getting the participants to learn mm -hmm. the instrument. Because it takes a long time to learn an instrument. I can't just show up and expect someone to learn it in six months. Yeah, yeah. So I think that is going to take the amount of time that it takes, and I'm open to that. I mean, if it takes me three years to do this master's, I'm passionate enough about it that I'm mm -hmm. I'm happy to have it take three years. Hmm. What does the uh, the instrument actually sound like right now? And have you been able to play it, or your participant been able to write stuff and play it? So um, what I did right now was I took basically what's called a groove object in Max MSP. So it just repeats the same little one second sound over and over and over again. And I've been experimenting with different sounds of people singing. Mm. So basically it's someone singing and then if she lifts her hand up, they sing really, really high. And then if she puts her hand down, they sing really, really low. And you can hear some of the clicking of the groove object going around in circles. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can hear the tone of someone singing as opposed to, you know, just a theremin sound, right? Getting mm -hmm. something that's actually a real world sound. And someone played something for me recently that was a lot of different um, people playing, uh, people singing and being layered over top of each other. So I think it's going to sound like someone singing, especially since mm. my participant is nonverbal. Oh, yeah. So I think she might appreciate being able to sing. Yeah. Have you gotten a lot of feedback from her? What does she think of it so far? She loved it. Yeah. I brought it to her um, a couple of weeks ago. 
and she played with it for a good 20 minutes or so and didn't want to stop and this was just well this was when I put the singing sound in there so she liked it better so she was just playing and playing and she loved it and smiling so that's really what I'm in it for right is to make someone happy to make someone's day a little bit better you know that's kind of the goal at the end of the day of all this research so I think it's good and the people who I've told about it seem to think that it's at a good stage. So it's just a matter of getting more creative now with the musical side of it. And mm-hmm. which is, you know, what I'm supposed to be good at. That's <laughs> your music, right? I better be able to pull that part out and making sure that something sounds really good at the end of the day. Yeah. What does the setup actually look like? So you've got the the connect, which is like the camera and right. it's connected to a computer, I'm guessing. Is it a very large object or is it so compact? yeah, the camera is about I don't know, I would say maybe like a foot mm-hmm. long, foot and a half, something like that. It's pretty compact. Um, a foot long, maybe about half a foot wide and maybe half a foot high or so. Mm -hmm. And it's black and it's kind of angled to give you the sense of when you point the camera at something, it's got an angle that goes out of the area that it covers. Um, so there's the camera with a adapter because normally the camera is plugged into your Xbox, which is a proprietary attachment. So an adapter that plugs into my computer and that plugs into the wall to give to give power to the Kinect. And then I have my MacBook Pro computer on which I'm running Windows in parallel. Mm-hmm. And um, so the Windows, so in Windows it plugs in and then it's got, like I said, the SDK and the different programs in there that it detects. Because it's Windows, it detects the Kinect right away because it's the programming right, right. is made mm-hmm. to be able to do that. So it's just a MacBook Pro, the Kinect camera, and then, you know, a desk mm-hmm. and the person. So it's actually really compact. I carry it in my backpack when I go and visit my participant, you know. Yeah. I have it just in my office. It's small. Sometimes there's speakers that I plug into my camera so that it can get a better sound out mm-hmm. or headphones or whatever I need to be able to hear the sound. But it's very portable. I carry it in my backpack. Mm-hmm. When you're done with it, uh, what's the plan? Do you want to, uh, is it just going to be a prototype that maybe could be in development for other people who are interested? Or what's the next step once you're actually finished your master's? Well, it'll definitely be open source, any of the software that I produce, so that people can take a look at it and try and reproduce it if they want to. Or if they have questions of me, you know, I'm happy to help other people doing a similar thing. I think it's really important work. Mm -hmm. I think that it's really the future I think that there's been a lot of barriers to access for various different groups of people to the symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. And this is the next step in my mind is getting people with disabilities more involved. So I think that it's right at the beginning of the technology that's going to create a movement even. I would I would call it that. Mm-hmm. A movement of people that are able to use it. So I think the plan is just to connect with more people that are doing similar kinds of work. Uh, like I said, I've been in contact with Ian Gibson and Ralph Galehar and mm-hmm. from people like that. Um, and some of them, you know, come to UBC to collaborate or different places like that. So finding a way to get to know these people and build more of a community. There was an adaptive music technology conference last year in 2013 in Ireland, hmm. in Dublin, I think it was. 
but I managed to miss it somehow. I'm not sure. Well, I hadn't started my master's yet, so maybe that's why. But so I think the community is gradually building. And if I can be in any way part of helping things to move along in this way, then I'm happy with that. Hmm. Um, I'm interested to know, like the classical musician community is often sort of associated with a level of snobbery and perfectionism. (laughs) (laughs) I think. (laughs) That's so funny. But... That's um, so funny. Do you think there's any resistance to like uh, what sounds like like an electronic music or an electronic instrument being used in, I don't know, like orchestral settings or something like that? Let me put it this way. I think, in my opinion, that the music community is often one of the first to embrace different social movements there's a lot of inclusivity among musicians. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in terms of the symphony orchestra. I mean, there could be, there is snobbery in terms of maybe some of the performers that way or maybe some of the places that are way, really elite. I mean, they're, sure, I could name some snobs that were in my music year, you know, at <laughs> UBC. But I think for the most part, it's actually a very inclusive community. And I've seen a number of people with disabilities be really embraced, actually be really embraced by the music community and different types of people, you know, of different ages or whatever have you. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had a couple of experiences firsthand with disabled musicians who've been wildly embraced by the music community here at UVic. So I think there's acceptance that way. In terms of the electronic music stuff, I think that's harder. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of acoustic musicians that don't really know what to make of electronic music. And I think that that can be really difficult because I was telling this to my friend the other day because we attended a concert and he was asking me, well, what does the electronic guy, what did the electronic guy do? And I said, well, it's very easy to understand someone sitting at a piano. Anyone can understand. They can understand whether he's playing the piano, whether he's not playing the piano, whether he's a little bit playing the piano, whatever he's doing there. We have a frame of reference for that, but with electronic music, it's so new that no one really knows what's even possible. Like, what if you have an electronic musician that is adding reverb and some sibilance to the sounds and different things like that that are subtle but still very important to the performance of the piece? Um, I think that that makes it a lot more difficult. There's not really that sense of what it can be for people. What people haven't heard a lot of this type of electronic music. So it makes it more special, in my opinion, but also a lot more challenging. So I, I, I would agree with you there that I think that there's, it's in the general musician community, but among that, and especially among composers, a lot of them are extremely forward thinking mm-hmm. and know a lot about electrical stuff, electronic music stuff, and are willing to experiment with it. Um, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. This is totally fascinating. Um, if people want to find out more about this kind of stuff, is there uh, a website that they can go to for UVic or maybe they can start where you started? You mentioned the TEDx. Um. Right. I would definitely recommend to watch. So if you Google British Para Orchestra TED Talk, mm-hmm. you can watch the performance 
by Charles Hazelwood and the British Prayer Orchestra, which was quite a few years ago now. So it's only four members and the orchestra has expanded a lot. But I would say visit the British Prayer Orchestra website and start taking a look around at all of the different musicians there, all of the different people with disabilities that are still a part of the orchestra. You know, they range from all different kinds of disabilities. Um, that would be one really good place to work. You can look at AMTURG, Adaptive Music Technology Research Group. And I would definitely recommend taking a look at Can Assist. If anyone who is listening doesn't know about Can Assist, they are amazing. Mm -hmm. The work that they do there in terms of making custom equipment for people who have disabilities and really changing. I've seen them just change people's lives. Okay, thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Jargon. If you want to listen again, go to our website, cfuv.uvic.ca, and click on the Listen tab.